today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. He's a forgiving God. He's a merciful God. He's a compassionate God. And He's a God who casts our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. It's figurative language there, but He's basically saying, you're the God who does not hold our sins against us. When we come to God and we confess our sins and we get right with God and we repent from our sins, God, in a sense, He casts them into the depths of the sea to be forgotten and forgiven. You can be hard enough on yourself when you think about your own past mistakes. But when others bring them up and remind you, it can even be more shameful. The Bible says that when you confess your sins to God, He will forgive you. And He promises to no longer hold your sins against you. God will never remind you of your sins. In today's message, Pastor Gary will explain that when God forgives you of your sins, He forgives you completely. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Micah as he continues his message, The Sea of Forgetfulness. And so here in chapter 1, look at verses 2 through 7. He says, Hear all you peoples. Listen, O earth, and all that is in it. Let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is from the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? That's talking about the south. Uh, Sorry, it's talking about the north. Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? That's talking about the south. Are they not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the field, places for planting a vineyard. I will pour down her stones into the valley, and I will uncover her foundations. Verse 7, all her carved images shall be beaten to pieces, and all her pay as a harlot shall be burned with the fire. All her idols I will lay desolate, for she gathered it from the pay of a harlot, and they shall return to the pay of a harlot. So Micah points out here and combines the fact that they are engaging in idolatry uh, and it is the equivalent of spiritual adultery, Uh, that they have carved images out of wood and stone and metal and that they have bowed down to these images and that they have worshipped these images. Now, where do they get the concept of these images? They got the concept from the neighboring nations around them where Israel has forsaken the true and living God, and they started to adopt the gods of the nations around them, which included these carved images. So they were bowing down to these images and worshiping these images, and they were 
forsaking the true and living God. And in doing this, they are, in a sense, prostituting themselves. And that's why Micah uses the term here, harlot. You, 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 you've made yourselves like harlots. You're prostituting yourselves. You are committing a love affair, adultery with these other gods, and you have forsaken the true and living God. So they're guilty of idolatry. And then he calls out, if you go to chapter 2, he calls out something prevalent in his day, something that we see common in our own day as well, injustice. In chapter 2, look at the first two verses. He says, woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds. At morning light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and take them by violence, also houses, and seize them. So they oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. And so, in other words, Micah is saying here how neighbor is mistreating neighbor. How they're lying on their beds at night, plotting how they can scheme to confiscate property and possessions from their fellow neighbors. To take them by force. So at night they plot, and then during the day they carry out their plans where they take advantage of one another and confiscate their property by force and rob a man of his inheritance. So they're guilty of injustice. Number three, if you go to chapter three, they're guilty of deception by the prophets. In chapter three, look at verse five. It says, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who make my people stray. These prophets are leading people astray who chant peace while they chew with their teeth, I'll explain that, but who prepare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Okay, your attention. So in the day, there were legitimate prophets and there were false prophets. Uh, Just like today, you know, there are uh, real teachers and there are false teachers, okay? And you have to be wise and discerning about it. And so even in Micah's day, you know, you have uh, prophets that are called by God. You have Micah, you have Hosea, you have Amos, you have Isaiah. They're all ministering at that same time period. But you also have other prophets who are not prophets at all, who were basically running a nonprofit organization, okay? (laughs) But they were acting like prophets, and here's what they would do. If you fed them, this is what it means by while they chew with their teeth. If you fed them, they would tell you whatever you wanted to hear. They wouldn't tell you the truth. They would just say, peace be unto you. And they would tell you whatever you wanted to hear. Feed them a meal, prophesy for pay. Like you, like you give them a good meal and we'll tell you whatever you want to hear. If you don't feed us, that's the second part of verse 5, but who prepares war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. If you don't feed me, we're going to be violent against you. So these are these false prophets going around saying, well, for a good meal, I'll tell you what you want to hear. You don't feed me, you get punched in the face. And so that's what they were doing. So all this deception, not telling them the truth, deceiving them, telling them lies, all for a good meal. They were running a racket, not acting like true prophets at all. And so... They were guilty of deceiving people. Number four, you also see something that I think you'll notice is not too unfamiliar with our own day. You have corruption among civil and spiritual leaders. In chapter three, still in chapter three, look at verses nine through 11. Now hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who abhor justice and pervert all equity who build up Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with iniquity. Her heads judge for a bribe. Her priests teach for pay. 
and are prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord among us? No harm can come upon us. So there's this corruption here among civil and spiritual leaders. They're guilty of social injustice. They're guilty of social inequality. They're guilty of wickedness. They're guilty of bribery. Just, you know, pay us and, and we'll, we'll take care of you. They're guilty of extortion. They're guilty of deception. It's not the Lord among us. We're fine giving people this false sense of security. So there's corruption among civil and spiritual leaders. And then the last thing that I'll point out, we could point out several other things, but something else they were guilty of was division within families. If you'll jump over to chapter 7 and look at verse 6. In chapter 7, verse 6, it says, For son dishonors father, daughter rises against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. And so there was division. People within their own families, they were fighting and they were arguing and they were rising up against one another. And so all of this was happening at this particular time. It, it's not too indifferent from our own day. Idolatry and injustice, deception by false prophets and corruption by civil and spiritual leaders and division within families. All this is going on and more. And in the middle of this, I mean, technically near the end of it, but in chapter six, God asks them a question through the prophet Micah. And I'll summarize what God says, and then we'll actually look at the text here in chapter 6. God basically says this. God basically says to the people, what have I done to you that you should act like this? I don't know if you've ever thought of that in your life before. I, I know that I have. There have been times in my life where just gently the Holy Spirit has spoken to my heart saying, you know, what have I ever done to you that you should treat me like this? And God is basically saying to them, as I think that he still says to us, have I not blessed you, taken care of you, provided for you, done so much for you, and yet you will treat me in response this way? Because all of their sin was really ultimately against the Lord. They were sinning against God. And God says, what have I done to you? that you should treat me like this. Look here in chapter 6, verse 3. He says, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Testify against me. I mean, like, tell me. What have I done to you that you should act like this, that you should behave like this? He says there in verse 4, For I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. In other words, God just revisits a little bit of their history, a tiny little bit, to point out the fact that how he's taken care of them. He says, remember when you were slaves in Egypt? Who brought you up out of that bondage? Who delivered you from slavery? Was it not I, the Lord? Didn't I free you? Didn't I take care of you? The rest of verse 4, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. I raised up these two brothers and their sister as leaders to help you and to lead you and to love you and to care for you. He says in verse 5, Oh, my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. If you remember, there's a story in Israel's history where Balak, the king of the Moabites, was having trouble defeating the Israelites. 
because God was with the Israelites. And so Balak hired Balaam, who was a false prophet of the day, to come and pronounce curses upon the Israelites. That's how Balak thought he'd gain victory over the Israelites. I'll hire Balaam, I'll give him money. He'll come and he'll pronounce these curses upon the Israelites. But what happened instead is every time Balaam opened his mouth to curse God's people, God put a blessing on his mouth and he blessed God's people. And Balak is standing around going, I'm paying you to curse these people. Why are you blessing these people? And Balaam's like, I can't help it. Every time I open my mouth, God puts blessings on my mouth for the Israelites. And so God's reminding you of this. He said, remember when, when Balaam came to curse you? And every time he opened his mouth, I put blessings on his lips to bless you, to care for you. He says there in the end of verse 5, from Acacia Grove to Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. The Acacia Grove was on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Gilgal was on the western side. And God then took them through the Jordan River into the promised land, going from east to west. And God is reminding them, didn't I take care of you all along the way? I brought you into the promised land that you would know the righteousness of the Lord. Why are you behaving in such a way? Look at all that I've done for you and so much more. I delivered you from slavery. I took care of you along the way. I raised up leaders who would love you and lead you. When Balaam opened his mouth, I put blessings on his mouth for you. I brought you through the wilderness. I took you to the promised land. What have I done that you should treat me this way? The people are cut to the heart. And so they ask in response, what what can we do to get right with you, Lord? Look at the rest here, Micah 6, verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And so in response, they ask the Lord, what's it going to take? Do, do we need to increase all our sacrifices? including the offering of oil? Do you want like rivers of oil? Do you want thousands upon thousands of rams? Can we offer sacrifices to appease you? Do we even need, notice they ask, do we even need to offer our firstborn for the transgression of our lives, the fruit of our lives because of our sin? Should we offer our firstborn? And God basically says to them, no, your sacrifices are meaningless. And don't even think about offering your firstborn. That's what the pagan gods want of you. That's not me. Here's what I want. Verse 8, he has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? So he takes the first few chapters and he says, here's all the problem facing the nation. And he says, now here's what I want you to practice. Here's the practice. And he summarizes life in these three terms. I want you to practice justice, I want you to love mercy, and I want you to walk humbly with your God. That's what I want. That's what I want. He says, basically, if I could summarize the way that you should conduct yourself, this is what I want. I want you to practice justice. This is important for us to understand, too. God wants us to be just and fair with people. Don't take advantage of them or mistreat them. Deal with others honestly, fairly, justly. God says, and I want you to love mercy. Don't just like it, love it. Love mercy because God is merciful. 
Be merciful toward others in the same way that God has been merciful toward you. Don't punish people for their sins or remind them of their past. Be forgiving as Christ has forgiven you. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You want mercy? Show mercy. You want to receive mercy? Be merciful like God is. God says, I want you to practice justice. I want you to love mercy. And I want you to walk humbly with the Lord your God. Know your place with God. Be humble about your life and what you have and what you've accomplished and who you are because it's all from the hand of God and he can take it away anytime he pleases. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We need to be quick to repent from sin. God honors a broken and contrite heart, but he will oppose the proud and the arrogant. We need to walk humbly with our God. So he outlines the problems. He says, this is the practice. And he ends this with a promise. And this is one of the most precious promises in all of the Bible. Micah 7, verse 18. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. And he will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities and you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You need to underline those verses in your Bible because there are going to be different times you're going to want to refresh your memory with those verses about who God is. Micah starts out this passage here in verse 18, asking a question, who is a God like you? It's a play on his own name. Remember Micah, contracted form of Micayahu means, who is a God like you? And he asks this question of the Lord because he's making a statement that God is incomparable. And he points out these different things about the character and nature of God there in verse 18, pardoning iniquity. And passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage, he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities and you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. To summarize these verses, he's basically saying this. This is the incomparable nature of God. There's no other God like him. He's a forgiving God. He's a merciful God. He's a compassionate God, and he's a God who casts our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. It's figurative language there, but he's basically saying, you're the God who does not hold our sins against us. When we come to God and we confess our sins and we get right with God and we repent from our sins, God, in a sense, he casts them into the depths of the sea to be forgotten and forgiven. He doesn't revisit our sins. He doesn't rehearse our sins with us. He doesn't remind us of our sins. When God forgives us of our sins, he forgives us completely, entirely, and wholly. And Micah says it's as if you cast our sins into the depths of the sea. Yeah, three people are glad about that. All right. All of us should be glad about that. Let me tell you something that the Jewish people still practice today. They read this passage here in Micah 7, verses 18 and 19. 
They gather by a river or an ocean, some moving body of water, typically not a pond or a lake, but a moving body of water like a river or, or an, an ocean. Jewish people today on Rosh Hashanah, which is the first day of the new year on the Jewish calendar, it's in September on our calendar. On the first day of Rosh Hashanah, they will take bread and they will go to a body of water and they will stand on the bank of the body of the water and they will recite Micah 7, 18 and 19. And they will take bread, symbolic of their sins, and they will cast the bread on the water. And it's a practice that is in Hebrew called tashlik. Tashlik in Hebrew means to cast. And they recite this passage as they cast the bread upon the water to remind themselves that God will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. A practice called tashlik. Now as a purely symbolic gesture, I don't have a problem if someone wants to cast bread on the water as a tangible, physical reminder of a spiritual truth. That when we come to God and we repent, that as bread dissolves upon the water, so it is that God casts our sins into the depths of the sea to be forgotten and forgiven. And better than casting bread on the water is casting our sins upon the Lord. Because this is why God sent His Son Jesus to die for us on a cross. And this is why God says to us in Psalm 103, verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. This is why he says in Isaiah 43, 25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will remember your sins no more. Now, it isn't that God is forgetful because He knows all things, but it means that He will no longer hold our sins against us because God accomplished forgiveness of sins through the sacrifice of His Son on a cross so that we might be forgiven. As Colossians 1.14 says, In Christ we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. He is a forgiving God. He is a merciful God. He is a compassionate God. And He is a God who will cast our sins into the depths of the sea to be remembered no more. This is our God. This is our Savior Jesus, who died to set us free from the shame and the guilt and the weight of sin. This is the promise that Micah ends his book with. This is our God who casts all our sins into the depths of the sea. You've been listening to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been teaching through the last several books of the Old Testament, also known as the Minor Prophets. 
These short books are powerful and reveal so much about your Creator and His love for the world. If you have any questions or would like to share a prayer request with us, please contact us. You can reach us by calling 703-771-1500. Again, that number is 703-771-1500. You can also listen to more teachings in this series by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, or just download our mobile app. That way you'll have biblical messages available to listen to whenever you want, wherever you are. Pastor Gary also has a companion resource available for this Minor Prophets series. You'll find it under the Teachings tab at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd love to meet you, too. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online, and you can find out more on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Study the Minor Prophets. And we hope you'll join us again right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know